WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guest is the writer of such books as Batman, Robin, Flash, and Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths from DC, and the co creator of image titles like Ghosted, Nailbiter, Birthright, and the upcoming Dark Ride, Joshua Williamson. Welcome, Joshua. Uh, we'll start with the first time guest question. What are some of the first comics that you remember reading? Oh, so you guys want to go back, huh? Like you want to, you want to do the whole thing? All right, we, we want to start um, at the Big all Bang. Right. <laughs> all right. Uh, no, I love stuff like that. Yeah, no. Because um, I've been into comics my whole life, basically. Uh, I think the very first comic I ever read was a Jack Kirby comic. It was Superpowers number two. It has Calabac on the cover. Um, it's just really early on. Uh, uh, so basically, my parents were into comic books. Mm, okay. Um, they had read comic books when they were uh, they read comics when they were kids. So I, I've like literally never had a moment in my life where there wasn't a short box in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so my dad, he was really into like Doom Patrol. He also uh, he had read a lot of like these like funny books, like What If uh, or not What If? I'm sorry, What the what the mm-hmm. Doom Patrol, um, Bob Hope comics, Jerry Lewis comics. So I grew up with a lot of like very different, you know. And then my my mom was very much like a DC person, and so she was a bit more into like Teen Titans, uh, Justice League, uh, you know, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and, and that realm. But Teen Titans was much more her jam. Like she would always talk about how she had gotten a copy of Teen Titans number one and like she loved it and then uh she was a military brat you know so going from base to pace and so um she had to get rid of her comics every time she would go from one base to another base and so she has all these memories of getting around these books uh but so basically um yeah man so i always had a shirt box in the house and so like i think superpowers when i was a kid there was also a toy line tied into it superpowers is really the first thing i started reading and then just start grabbing. I had this book. Uh, let me see if I can turn the video back on. Let me see if I can, you guys mm-hmm. can see me again here for this little, without crashing the internet. All right. <laughs> so I have this book here on my shelf. Excuse me. Let me show you here. Uh, this is probably the first, like, really getting into it book. Uh, is this right here? Sure. Ah, okay. You know? uh-huh. Yeah, it's called, uh, you know, The Great Combo Heroes. This thing is fascinating to me because it's basically all the Golden Age origins, these characters, but it's not just like Marvel, not just DC. It's Marvel and DC. And it has things like the spirit in it, you know? So it mm-hmm. wasn't just like straight up. It, I, something like this would never exist now, you know? No. Um, but it has all this, uh, you know, it's a very beautiful write up by Jules Pfeiffer about like comics, like the Golden Age of comics. And uh, yeah, it has Namor in here, has Alan Scott's origin has Plastic Man's origin right alongside Captain America's. Like, it's such a fascinating book. This was the first real, like, thing I got, which might explain some of my fascination with certain things. But uh, <laughs> this was the, the first, like, real, like, you know, this is your big hardcover book. Uh, and then toward the end of the 80s, um, there was no comic book store nearby me. Like, mm-hmm. it was always a thing where, like, my parents would have to do, like, a much longer drive to get to a comic book store um so for a long time i was getting my comic books at like costco like going to costco once a month and i'd get this big brick of books you know for me to marvel <laughs> and dc um they're like shrink wrapped this giant thing where you get them at target or toys r us they'd have like three books shrink wrapped yeah. into some you know thing or whatever i and love so that costco does even that while. bigger 
Oh, I know, dude. It's so fun. That means you've got like but thirteen hey, wild cards in the middle as opposed to one. <laughs> yeah, when you're when you're you know when you're like uh you know a little kid and you go in there and somebody's just like I'm in there with my mom and she's grocery shopping for stuff and all of a sudden there's this gigantic brick of comics like that's you know basically like yeah so I was really into like just getting as much books as I can uh so my parents uh there was no comic books nearby me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd get a little here and there when I could, and I was reading things kind of out of order, you know, like I wasn't, there was no shop to go in and do, do the, the deep dives. So if I, if I could, I'd go to like, I grew up in California, so every once in a while I'd go to like the mile high that was out there, every once in a while I'd go to Golden Apple and just try to get what I could. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the day that Batman Returns uh, came out in theaters, a comic book store opened up next door to the movie theater. And they had this giant sign that was like, if you bring your ticket stub in from Batman Returns, you get a free dollar comic, which is nineteen ninety two. A dollar comic was a comic, you know, like that was yeah. like a regular price, you know. Some books were still seventy five cents. A dollar twenty five, a dollar fifty was like the upper grade, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I remember when the movie theater was over, when the movie was over, when Batman Returns was over. I walked into the comic book store, and my parents gave me their ticket stubs. I had my ticket stub, and I got. Batman comics and then that summer I tell this story all the time people have heard this before <laughs> that summer I, I saw Batman Returns in the theater 17 times um, wow. because what I would do is, is I would go see Batman Returns and then when the lights went up I would walk up and down the aisles finding ticket stubs on the ground and I would get like a handful of them I would go into the comic book store and I'd put them on the table and I would just be like give me give me comic books you know Jesus. Um, but the great thing about this was this was the first comic book store that was a bike ride from my house. And so all summer long, I would go in there and I'd ride my bike and pick up all kinds of stuff. I mean, at that point, I was very heavy into mostly Marvel and DC. I was, uh-huh. I, I had weird, um, like, I remember being upset when the Image Partners left Marvel. Like, I was such a loyal Marvel person at the time. Uh-huh. Um but by the time I got around to like deeper end elementary school, middle school, I remember getting into image. I got into image into like year two of image. Mm-hmm. So it was a little bit deeper in, you know, um, got really heavy into it. Uh, but by the time I was 14, uh, I was at a teenager at the comic book store every day or every day. I should say once a week, you know, mm-hmm. I would come in on the weekend and look at comics or I would come in on Wednesday night, pick up my books and stuff. And, you know, you, I would spend, you know, time talking to the manager, the people that work there. And then eventually they were just like, do you want a job? Like, do you want to work, like work here on Saturdays mm-hmm. and Wednesday night? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And um, so, yeah, 14 years old, working at a comic book store. And that's what I remember. <laughs> I, I started getting into other books. Like, you know, I got really into Grant Morrison. And I got really into like uh, Kill Your Boyfriend was probably you remember reading uh this kill your boyfriend so i got that and then i remember uh, um and i told the story to grant too like invisibles was behind the counter because i had the f word in it like so i wasn't allowed to get it but i remember being like once i was working there i'm like i'm totally gonna get this book and i got really into uh a lot more independence of vertigo while working at the store um fell in love with garth ennis like really loved preacher a lot and uh, even though Preacher was a couple, maybe a good year after that, I think. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I was really like a hardcore, like working at the comic book store, reading every single book that came that came through. You know, it was like I would sit there every Saturday and read everything. 
just like every book that came out. So Marvel, DC, Image, whatever, you know. I feel like Valiant is a blind spot for me in some weird ways. Like there was a relaunch of Valiant when they were bought by Acclaim and they had mm-hmm. like Turok comic, you know, there was a couple things in there. It was like, uh, I forget what that book was called, but there, there was a few books I kind of got into it. That that was like a weird quick moment where Ninjak was suddenly like a teenager. Like that's all on that okay. weird like Valiant Acclaim like that weird little window is probably the only time I was ever really into Valiant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, if it was coming out, I was reading it. I mean, that's uh, and by the time I got to college, um, when I got out of, uh, when I got to college, I wasn't working at the comic book store anymore that I con that I worked at in high school. And I would go to this comic book store and I was very cocky. I was a very cocky uh, teenager and a very cocky, like person in my late teens, like 18, 19. And I remember one day the owner, um, he said there was a there was a job opening to work at the comic book store that was close to my college. And uh, I literally wrote in my job application, I wrote, I know everything about comic books. And <laughs> uh, like, and I literally said, I dare you to quiz me. Like I put that in there. And so he brought me in and he asked me all these questions that were like, there's no answer to that question. You know, like he asked me some first appearances and I nailed him. But mm-hmm. then he was like, how old is Peter Parker? And I was like, well, that's a complicated question, you know? And I like broke it down of like, this is how old I think he is. And you know, you got to like think about the continuity. And, uh, but there's no answer. There's no correct answer to that. Um, <laughs> it's the essay portion of the uh, application. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember getting that. Part of why he even called me was because there was a day where I came into that shop on a Sunday and uh, they were short staff that day. I think he was by himself. It was a really, it was a really big store, like a very large store where like on average on Saturday on the comic book side, you'd have like four employees on Saturday working the floor. That's how large of a store it was. Cause there was a toy store. There was a toy side and a card side. And I would have like, you know, two or three people working there. But the comic side, yeah, you'd have having like at least probably like four people working in that side, but it was a weird Sunday where he's by himself. And somebody was asking questions about Superman. And they were asking questions about Brainiac 13. And there was some stuff going on in the Superman books at the time where Metropolis was getting converted into a big Brainiac city and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, the guy was like, just there was a customer asking about it because he wanted to buy them. And the owner couldn't help him. And I was like, oh, I, I know exactly what this is. Let me show you. And I showed him where they were. And that's really what got me the job. I mean, that's really what got me the interview. I think by the time it was the interview process, I think he just wanted to call me out because I was, again, a cocky kid. <laughs> and uh so he you know brought me in and was like do you want to work here and then i worked there for a few years then i was the manager of a comp store for a different store for about two years uh before i stopped and then i went uh full-time working as a graphic designer and doing production for a design company i worked i worked freelance uh before that in graphic design and production for people um but yeah, yeah. So I, I've I've read a lot of comics. Uh, to answer your initial question, yeah, the first one was S Powers, number two. Uh, but yeah, I I I feel like comics and me are are very deeply connected <laughs> from like the moment I was born. <laughs> so what would what would that make if you're starting around like ninety two and, and and sucking up all those uh, Batman ticket stubs? What was like your first big DC event? you know, reading wise, was that, was that be like zero hour or something before it was that? zero hour? Yeah. Okay. I bought every issue of zero hour. I read every issue of zero. I read all of it. Like that was probably the one, I mean, there's a couple others in there, but I think zero hour is really it. Well, it depends on your definition of an event, right? As I read nightfall when it was coming out, like I remember mm. buying 500, you know, like I, that was a weird one because nightfall started 
in that weird window where I was doing ticket stubs, but I also was getting some stuff from Costco. So I actually kind of like didn't necessarily read out of order, but I sort of did. But I remember mm-hmm. reading, it's funny, I read sort of Asriel before and I read, you know, thankfully for like very early trade paperbacks, like really early trade paperbacks, I had gotten sort of Asriel and, and I got Venom or like Batman Venom before I read Nightfall. Uh, but I remember I bought 500 the day it came out, and I bought uh, the Superman when it came out. Um, I remember the anticipation. So, I mean, if you qualify those as events, those are events that I bought when they were coming out. But the the next thing after that is, yeah, zero hour. I mean, I was hardcore zero hour, which I think introduced me to a lot of uh, new concepts in the DCU, but also grounded a couple of things. It probably explains a lot of um, my take on the DCU in general, why I'm so hardcore about, like, you know, it's it works its best when you have all the classic pieces, plus you're introducing new things to mythology, you know, like mm. uh, I got to come into DC at a time where Tim Drake was being introduced and Connor and the other Connor, and you know, Bart and Cassie, and especially Kyle Rayner, like because of that time period, you know, I think that's, that's part of why I have a lot of the opinions that I have on DC the way I do because of that. But then you get something like I'm probably me and Steve Orlando are probably the only two like bloodlines fans in the world um like we love bloodlines i love bloodlines i i see matt's face you're just like i also love bloodlines yeah <laughs> bloodlines gave the world hitman so <laughs> gave hitman oh, hey. and let me uh, tell you every argument we have it's even close to stuff whenever we start talking about those concepts but anytime somebody brings up oh it sounds like bloodlines and i'm always like hey man we got hitman like you that's one of my favorite comics of all time i'm actually going to start doing a reread i was just thinking about this the other day I did a reread of I did a reread of it. Um, God, I did a reread of Hitman. I think in two thousand, I think it was either eighteen or nineteen. Uh, might have been nineteen uh, because Pierre Tomasi was the editor on that book. Uh, and and Tomasi and I are friends, and and every once in a while, I used to be ashamed of this. Like I used to. I'm not going to say it was, but I remember I met this one creator back in 2007 when I was still like a little baby um, making, trying to make comics and self-publishing. I met this creator who I loved at a party and I started talking about their work that I liked and I got the vibe very quickly. They were angry that I was talking about loving their work. And um, I got wise to this thing where I'm like, there are some creators that actually really don't want to talk about it. Uh, they don't want to talk about you liking their work. And so I'm respectful of that. But every once in a while, you got to just go for it. You know, like you never know if you have an opportunity to tell a creator you like their work. Um, but with Tomasi, one time we were in a car driving from, I think it was a, might have been the airport to a hotel for a convention. And I just was like, yo, we're going to talk about Hitman. Uh, just because I love Hitman so much. But yeah, Bloodlines is another one. Um, you know, I have a lot of like favorite events that are all throughout the 90s. But yeah, to answer your question, I think Zero Hour, I'm like fairly certain Zero Hour was in. But yeah, I bought every issue of Zero Hour and every issue of Bloodlines too. But yeah. We're not going to bore the, the everyone else, but you and I have much to discuss. <laughs> That's the way. Ask whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, totally. No, no, no. Uh, because believe I came in a hair before that zero uh, mm-hmm. oh zero hour again that was the f- one of the first two events that i bought the the brick that and armageddon 2001 yeah. and see oh. that's the, that, that you're totally right in terms of the timeline because armageddon 2001 i remember when i was getting those costco packs i would 
kind of get those because uh, the issue of uh, the Superman annual from 2001, that's the Superman with Maxima annual. Like, mm-hmm. that's actually a legit, really good book. I actually just reread it not that long ago, and it's a really good issue. Uh, yeah, you're just like, you're like a shade after me then because that that whole Armageddon 2001 is, it's not one of my blind spots because now I, I've definitely read it. I, I, I feel like its legacy is so much more about Monarch and Captain Adam than the actual event at this yeah. point. Um, what was the funny thing about that? I heard that uh, a few years ago, I had heard that uh, when that got leaked, it actually didn't leak like in a, in a big way, it leaked in a small way, but it was still enough to freak people out. Mm-hmm. You know, it, was, it, it wasn't as big like what we have now where something leaks online and you're like oh my god like thousands if not tens of thousands or hundreds now know this back then it was like when dc found out that that leaked they were like oh no 200 people know <laughs> um and that was enough to make them freak out about it and then you know it didn't help the event it, it actually became its legacy in a weird way but oh. that's a whole other thing yeah yeah no no my my first book was a a bit before my first book was uh right after batman 89 i started reading because of 89 oh, yeah. so yeah yeah some of the the wolfman aparo batmans right after tim made his first appearance so that it's oh i was but, getting those like i i got them but it was the same thing where it was like it was not a regular occurrence because i remember reading batman it's i think it's i'm just trying to remember what issue is it which is the one that sam ham wrote right was it like 600 or was it the, five? It's earlier detective, it's like detective 598 to 600 i literally is, am right. covering yeah. that on my other podcast episode dropping on thursday <laughs> all right i'll have to listen to that one yeah like uh, i remember reading those when it was coming out and but that's the thing like i was reading in a weird fractured way where it's like i wasn't doing your, your normal go to the comics for every wednesday to pick up books i was doing it in this weird like Everything was all over the place. Same thing. I mean, I, I was really heavy a DC reader. Um, like Marvel, I think with Marvel, the only things that I was reading regularly was probably Spider-Man. Um, like Spider-Man and then later on X-Men. Um, and then I would go back and read more X-Men stuff. But that's why a lot of a lot of Marvel is kind of a blind spot to me. Like uh, up until probably you know very late late 90s um because i think the first like real marvel thing that i'm thinking about it that i got really excited about was marvel knights like i was reading daredevil before marvel knights and i was reading little stuff here and there um like i remember i remember reading punisher i remember reading a lot of marvel edge books so they were calling that label at the time with marvel edge and like Mm the theory was you know believe that the punisher no, the Punisher thought Nick Fury killed his family. That's what it was. That was that whole that whole storyline. I was reading all that, but I wasn't like hardcore into it. I think I was such a, a a hungry comic book reader that I was reading a lot, but I wasn't actually like. I'm sure there's a difference between this. There's a difference between when you you read comics to absorb the information of the continuity, and then you read comics as you're like super into that book. And I, I don't know how to explain that. There there is a difference, I think. Oh yeah. Um and. And Marvel Knights was the thing I think I, so I, I have this, I, I'm going to call it ownership, right? Like, um, I'm always curious about fandom's ownership of certain things. So it's like, I, I think that like Tim Drake is a character, a certain generation of creators feel ownership of because they were introduced when they were either beginning to read yeah. or somewhere in that window, right? Like Legion of Superheroes, 
whenever you talk to about who's their favorite legion of superheroes it's normally the first one they read right so for me it's the zero hour legion of superheroes that's always my favorite you mm-hmm. know um for some people it's you know some people it's the uh, five year later stuff with keith giffen you know it depends on your your window um but you claim ownership of it and i'm always very curious about this with certain people where it's like you claim and, and i think this is an important thing that comics should do especially marvel and dc is you have to give things for new readers to claim ownership of like there are some people who claim ownership over damian wayne because they were reading that was their first you know and that's my baby boy uh but you know it's it's i claim ownership of him to a certain extent uh but with marvel i think the first thing that i felt ownership of well no that's not true something about x-men i was so into x-men I was so into Spider-Man mm-hmm. and X-Men, but I think that was the first outside of Spider-Man X-Men I got into because I was so hardcore into Onslaught and I bought all of, you know, I got all of Heroes Reborn, all of Heroes Return. I was, I was getting all of it, but Marvel Knights was the thing that I think I had the most. It might be an age thing too, because Marvel Knights was coming out right when I was, um, like Daredevil number one came out in September of 1998. Uh, I know that because I was about to start, high, I was starting my senior year of high school and I remember reading or by myself uh it's a whole other story but like that's the thing i feel much more um ownership of for marvel okay so now out of the preamble and yeah we have all manner of things to discuss but uh let's start with your upcoming dark ride from image uh here's the solicitation copy for issue one for those unfamiliar welcome to the scariest place on earth Devil Land has been the world's premier horror-themed amusement park for over 50 years, home to the scariest ride ever created, The Devil's Do. But when lifelong fan Owen Seasons begins his first day on the job, he will discover the true horrors happening behind the scenes, the truth about the park's reclusive creator, Arthur Dante, and that the job of his dreams might just be a living nightmare i really love the way you did that it makes me feel really good about that solicit copy that we wrote <laughs> Thank this you. is tur- this is turning into voice work for you matt and i love that for you I, yeah, I, awesome. I, I love it i, I love uh, reading horror solicit copy it makes me happy yeah it's really yeah that was really good yeah thank you uh, that made me feel i was like all right i did it that was good uh yeah i i it, it, when i was in high school i feel like i've had many paths in my life that could have gone different ways you know um when I was young, I knew I really wanted to work in comics, but I kept being told that com- like working in comics was impossible. There was no money in comics. I had all like the gauntlet of like, you know, everyone trying to put hurdles in front of the idea of working in comics. So the other thing I wanted to do, which is equally difficult to do, uh, I wanted to be an Imagineer. Like I wanted to develop Ooh. rides and and create rides and and uh, you know, uh, you call them experiences now or activations now, but you know yeah. things like that. That was sort of my goal was to work for Disney and. Uh, um, or not Sperry Farm or Universal, whatever. Like I was just, I loved uh, amusement parks, and I really wanted to make amusement park either rides or attractions. And uh, it's part of why I went to school for graphic design. Um, you know, and I, I knew I would need more engineering stuff, but I really that was what. And I've actually known people who design rides, and you'd be surprised the what kind of goes into it. Um, but I really wanted to do that, and so it's always been in the back of my head. And I always do a lot of. Uh, like not research, research is the wrong word, but it's like if I see a book comes out about Imagineering or a book that comes out about like even even these books that Disney puts out where it's just a collection of the different maps over the years, I always buy it. And 
and I've known people who have worked for Disney and they know that uh, about me. So I get stuff in the mail sometimes, but I've just been obsessed with that. Hmm. And so I've always been trying to figure out how to, how to uh, do a book about that, do a book about something involving an amusement park or, you know, rides, but I also love doing horror stuff and doing horror books. And maybe about three years ago, I started thinking about oh, this, this marriage of these two things of, of horror and amusement park and, uh, and that's where Dark Ride came from. It's just my love of my love and my obsession. I, I've learned over the years that I have to be obsessed with something like when I'm working on it. If I'm not obsessed with it, it's going to fall somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I'm, I'm actually pickier now about projects than I was maybe 10 years ago. But yeah, with this one, I just knew I had to do something that was about amusement parks, but also horror at the same time. And of course, a horror theme amusement park sort of fulfilled that and made it work. So you've been away from the the image world for a bit since the end of Birthright. Uh, why mm-hmm. did it feel like it was time to get back to it, or was this has this been in the pipe all along, and just production means it's coming out now? Uh, well, I started developing this idea and working on it. Like I said, maybe like three or four years ago. Um, I mean. My schedule is has been. It's better now than it was, but my schedule was pretty crazy. Like there was a moment this last year where in May of this year I had eight comic books come out from DC in that month alone, you know? So I've been really busy. Um and then also it was Andre's schedule too. Like we knew I wanted Andre to do it and he had to finish birthright first. And so it's something we've talked about for a while, but I would say probably a year ago is when it became much more apparent that I yeah, we were doing it about a year ago. Yeah, maybe a little more than a year ago. Um I knew I was doing it and I've just been developing the the world of it more and more, like my thinking on it. Uh, yeah, I didn't, it wasn't intentional. I, I took a little bit of a break from Crater Own, but a big piece of that was because of the pandemic. You know, I think that originally I had planned on after Flash, when Flash was over, I was going to take a little bit of a step back and focus on Crater Own and maybe do like one DC book. But then, of course, the pandemic happened and like the world totally changed. And you didn't know. Like DC was also going through some changes in that time period, too. Um, you know, even even before the pandemic, when I knew I was leaving Flash. There was a lot of stuff going on at DC. So I wasn't really sure what my future at DC was going to be like. So I was like, I had a bunch of Crater Own books I was working on. When... The pandemic hit all my creator own stuff got put on the back burner because i had artists that were like what do you think that script's gonna be ready and i'm like uh well i want to make sure i do it right so maybe six months from now and they'd be like well i have a job offer right now to do a graphic novel and i'm like you do that like you take that job especially if you're cool. this is like when we're going into the pandemic so mm-hmm. it was like listen if you have a job that's gonna pay you for the next year you take that job um and I had a couple projects that I was like, oh, maybe this project is too dark. There's this other one that I haven't announced yet. I was like, oh, maybe that one's too dark. I'll put it on the back burner. And then I got um, not frustrated. I talked to James about this, the uh, Tinian, he knows. But there were moments where I was like, oh, this book's too dark. I'm going to put it in the back burner. Maybe it's the right time. So then I started doing as best as I could to just get my creator on rolling again. Uh, but I still have a lot of DC work. Um, you know, I'm still doing the event. So some stuff, some stuff like Dark Ride got pushed back a little bit. A couple other things got pushed back. Mostly it's because of my workload. Now, you mentioned it. I mean, you've worked with Andre Bresson and Adriana Luca for uh, 50 issues of Birthright yeah. uh, before coming back for Dark Ride. Uh, how has your working relationship with them evolved over 50 issues and now into Dark Ride? 
I mean, there's a lot of trust, a lot of trust. And, and I know that Andre and I can just like talk to each other openly. And I know how to write to him. I know how to write to his strengths. Um, but that's like one of my brothers at this point, you know, like uh, we're so close. I mean, going through 50 issues with the creative team, because even our letter path was the same, all 50 issues, you know, like we had the exact same four people working on a book for 50 issues is like, it is rare. It, 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 and, I, and I totally appreciate that. And uh, yeah, Andre and I, because you know, we just talk on Skype. <laughs> like we just sit there, we chat throughout the day and we talk and stuff. Uh, we just have a really good relationship now. It's it's weird when you get to that. It's almost like asking like, how's your relationship with your wife like? And you're like, oh, things are good. You know, like that's it. You know, I was like, I can get the nitty gritty of it if you want. But you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> With him and a few other artists, I just know them really well. And now we just have this kind of working relationship and it just moves really smooth. And I know, again, I know what makes Andre happy too. So I know what to put in the scripts to kind of be like, okay. Like Andre's obsessed with werewolves. So I was trying to find a place for a werewolf. That's why Birthright, there's werewolves in the back half so much because he just loves werewolves. Um, he always wants to draw werewolves. <laughs> so I was trying to find a place for werewolves, even if it's one panel. Uh, just so Andre gets a werewolf that day. Uh, uh, but yeah, we just have like a really good working relationship and we get to talk about stuff and, you know, they understand what I'm, where I'm coming from with things. I understand where they're coming from. And now I feel a lot of uh, confidence where I know I can, but with Andre early on, I had this feeling with Andre where, and this is one of the best parts that you can have with a collaborator. You know, when you start building a partnership with somebody is we started challenging each other where it's like, I turn a script in and then the artist looks at it and goes, who, who, who I can make that cooler. And they look at it and you're like, Oh man, like not only did they take what I thought they were going to do and, and level up on it, but they like accepted the challenge of that page. Right. And then you're like, Oh, well now I got to level up. You know, I got to step up here. And that's the, when you start having that kind of relationship, with your collaborators it's the best i think like i had that with gleb on robin and like riley rosmo somebody i trust a lot with riley i know i'll give them something and they're just gonna knock it out of the park and crazy land and uh yeah like daniel and their crisis is the same way you know you start just having that kind of when i was back back um way back when, when i was in college and I, again i went to school for graphic design all i knew were artists so i would say from the first like 10 years of my career up until like i would say like 2009 maybe 2008 no 2009 2009 was the first time i started talking to writers before that so i would say the first nine years i started self-publishing early 2000s all i knew were artists and so i have a really uh i don't know i i, I like that relationship you have and being able to build something cool so with andre uh, i've been able to build that with him and so he's one of those people that i'm like i'll work with that guy forever and I'm also like a little protective of him because there are times where DC wanted him to work on something at DC or Birthright. And I was like, no, 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 he's mine. So I'm going to shift something around because there's a question later on that actually kind of bears on what we just dis discussed here. Uh, yeah, sure. Because, uh, you know, some writers create excellent cliffhangers. And I'm, I'm not saying that you don't, but in your horror work, especially in Nailbiter, you seem to have mastered the page turn jump scare, which yeah. I love. Uh, I'm Thank thinking you. specifically yeah. of a page where Sheriff Crane lays down in bed on one oh, page yeah. and the next opens to a splash. And I'm not going to spoil it for people who haven't read it, but oh boy. Um, yeah, I, uh, 
well, go ahead. What was your question? Yeah, I was curious how much of that, you know, was right in the script. How much of that was collaborative between you and Mike Henderson? Uh, on Nailbiter, on Nailbiter, I was really detailed in the scripts and really tight. Like there's scenes. Nailbiter was an interesting experience because it was like Mike and I would talk it out ahead of time, which is really how I prefer. Like I don't like giving an artist a script and being like surprised. I like to actually talk about it. Now, sometimes with Mike, um, not to say Mike is squeamish. I shouldn't say Mike is famous. Mike likes horror, but I know the things that freak Mike out. So sometimes it was about me just trying to like freak him out a little bit or gross him out. And then he's trying to gross me out. Like the same, you know, um, but with Nailbiter, I was very specific in the script because I write full scripts. And so I'm always very specific and I, I'm obsessed with page turns. So I was always very specific of how certain things would roll out a certain way. And like that one in particular, Mike and I had talked about it before. So when I wrote it, I wrote it very specific. And then Mike just knocks out the park. Like he just knew it and was able to nail those patrons. We were, we were all about the patrons and all about the cliffhangers. Um, I've actually like, it's funny with some of the books I do now, like I try and mix up the way I do cliffhangers. Uh, but Nailbuyer, Nailbuyer was intended to be written as this like, penny dreadful grindhouse thing that you would consume and you could throw away but you wanted that next issue you know like that was the goal of it was to very much make it that kind of a horror book but that meant that every issue had to have the best possible cliffhanger and um it developed a habit in me as a writer where i was always writing to the cliffhanger like from page one to page 22 i was all about getting you to that cliffhanger and then shocking you you know um and i've tried to over the years especially post flash to rein in on that a little bit more um but that was Nailbiter. Nailbiter was always about that. Like I wanted it to be a fast, you know, snappy, quick read. And then you get to the jump scares and you get the horror and you get all that. Like that was, oh, it was all very intentional. Like I, I had a, in my notebook, and I have this now with Dark Ride. But whenever I break up an issue in my notebook ahead of time, I always have a little note on the top corner. I'd write it to myself that was just like, where's the scary? Like I would always make sure I had that as a reminder whenever I was writing any issue of Nailbiter because I wanted to make sure that I brought that. And, and Dark Ride is a different kind of horror book. It's a little more psychological. It's a little bit, it's a little, it's not as, don't get me wrong, there's gonna be some gross stuff going on in it. Um, but you know, like in Nailbiter, we had a scene where somebody was like, uh, a guy was like licking someone's stump after they had had part of their arm cut off, you know? Um, so that's a little bit different. That was one of the times where I was really trying to gross Mike out as much as I could. Uh, but, you know, uh, yeah, I, I love, I love page turns. I love cliffhangers. I, I've, it's too bad. I always joke with people that like, if I ever had my own imprint, I would call it cliffhanger, even though that's been taken famously taken, you know, I love that name. I was also, I was so into cliffhanger comics too. I was, I was very much into that in ABC comics in the late nineties. I mean, Ghosted was also a very different kind of horror than yeah. Nailbiter and now it seems like Dark Ride. Uh, what are some of your horror touchstones? Some of the things in, you're talking about some of the comics you loved. What are yeah. some of the horror that you love? Well, so when I was a kid, when I was really little, so it goes back to me being a small child. Um, <laughs> we had this VHS tape, it was purple, of like Disney, it was a Disney VHS tape that was like snippets of horror from other stuff right so it had like sleepy hollow and it had some had some donald duck they would take like scenes from things like snow white and they would just take just the scary part just just the part of her like transforming into the evil witch you know 
and it was that all this compilation and um i feel like that was my first introduction to horror was this sort of weird like and again this goes into my my disney stuff and reason park stuff mm-hmm. uh but the whole thing was narrated by the magic mirror and the magic mirror would introduce all these little shorts that were just like horror stuff so like you know night of bald mountain fantasia is part of it but you don't watch all of fantasia it's just that section right, right. so uh mm-hmm. when i was a kid uh, that really shaped a lot of stuff in my head about horror. And then, and the, you know, in the eighties you had Ghostbusters and uh, there were things like even like thriller that I was like, those are my early introductions to horror. But then I started getting into like Freddie, you know, very into Freddie when I was a kid and very into Jason. And then of course I got like hardcore. Uh, and it was funny. You made a joke earlier today about all the titles of dark in them. <laughs> But I got really into Sam Raimi, so like Evil Dead, Army of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Like I saw Army of Darkness in the theater, and I loved it. And I think that's part of why all the horror I write always has like a little bit of humor to it. You know, it's like clearly Jackson and Ghosted is sort of this like asshole kind of character, and that's sort of very much what I see of like Ash um, in Army of Darkness and in Evil Dead. Um, even though he's not really an asshole until you get to like Ash versus Evil Dead, um, <laughs> he's not an asshole in that either. He tries to be crazy, he's obsessed with Jacksonville, but that's a whole other. You know, I'm not sure you guys watch that show or not. Um, but uh, yeah, so a lot of my touchstones were really on were like Sam Raimi stuff because you brought up Dark Man, and that's also <laughs> Sam Raimi. And um, yeah, those are those are my kind of horror uh, touchstones. We're all like, you know, yeah, Freddy and Jason, Evil Dead, uh, again, Army of Darkness is a little later. Um, that those are all the sort of that, I think that's why a lot of my again my comics that I do are horror book there's always like a hint of dark humor to them is because that's where you know my thinking of horror comes from i mean freddie would always make jokes while i was killing people so you know yeah so the first little snippet of dark ride that we've seen was in the recently released skybound x 25 yeah. Uh, was it fun to to write this little short in that anthology as a, a soft launch uh and how did that kind of come about uh it was not fun it was hard um <laughs> because i didn't <laughs> want to give too much away mm-hmm. that was the biggest part of it was that uh i wanted to introduce the world but not the story mm-hmm. and, and so it was because i feel like dark ride i i think once we get into it once you read issue one and then you read issue two it is probably a little bit different from what you're going to expect. And so I didn't want to give away too much throughout the game. And I didn't want to give up too much of the story. I didn't want to give up too much of the overall, like, what it actually is about. Because, yes, it is about this uh, horror amusement park. And so I didn't want to give away too much throughout the game. So I was like, how do I introduce... And I, I was having these conversations with Skybound because I'm like, well, how do I introduce this world? Because I don't want to introduce the story, I want to introduce the world. And so I wanted to... Um, make it about something I have anxiety about, which I have anxiety about waiting in line. So I was like, all right, I want to, I, I hate waiting in line. Uh, and I, actually, I'm okay with it. I can be patient. Uh, I just have a lot of, I like if I see someone cutting in line, it drives me crazy. I feel like if people in line aren't moving fast enough or if somebody behind me is kind of bumping into me, like it bugs me. And so I was like, how do I write about those anxieties? And then I, and then, and then, but do it in a kind of a twisted way for Dark Ride. And that's where that, that's where that short came from. Um, Skybound asked me about it early on. They were like, do you want to do a little short uh, in Skybound X? It kind of previews the book. 
but yeah, I was like, yeah, I want to preview the book. I want to preview the park. I don't necessarily want to give away the story. And so I think there's certain things in there that kind of give you a feel of what the book is going to be like. But like that dad and his kids, they don't appear in the book, at least not yet. Um, I haven't written them in. Maybe I could probably find a place for them. But it was much more about introducing the overall like feel plus the park and the world and that weird like the fact that the park and the mascot of the park kind of give off a very negative bad energy that makes people kind of do bad things. That was more what I was trying to introduce with it. I, I love the idea that for someone who loves you know theme parks and thrill rides, mm-hmm. you cannot stand waiting online. <laughs> Oh, dude, I have a whole system. I have a whole system. Like, we, uh, I like going with a group of people to mm-hmm. amusement parks if I can. Not a big group, but like me, my wife, my kids, and then a couple friends or other family. Uh, and part of that is because that way I can be kind of in either the front of that group or in the middle of that group. If I'm in the end of that group, mm-hmm. it's all other thing. Uh, but like the last time I went to, but I also have a system. We're going to get into all my little neuroses and my, my obsessions here. Uh, I have a system for amusement parks and particularly Disneyland. Like I know how if, if you do, if we stay the night before we stay at one of the hotels, they have this thing called magic hour and sure, that yeah. allows you to get in the park an hour early. I have a system. I kid you not. If, if we went to Disneyland and we did my system, we would go on nearly every single ride in Disneyland by lunch, like by two o'clock, we would be sitting down for lunch and we'd be like, we just went on every ride. And I've done this with people. I have friends who are like Disney people who are like, no way, no way. And I'm like, no, I, I'm telling you, if you follow me, if you do what I tell you to do, we will be on everything by lunch. And one time we went with somebody who was like a hardcore Disney person. Mm-hmm. And yeah, by lunchtime, they were sitting there and they're like, holy shit, I can't believe we did that. I'm like, I'm telling you, there is a way. There is a way. Um, so I have friends. I always, I always break it down for them what to do. They're going. I'm like, here's what you should do. Here's the whole system in place. Um, but even one year we went, and it was we couldn't do the system because we were going with uh the last time we went we couldn't do the system because we were going with my daughter for the first time and to disneyland we also had tickets um galaxy's edge had just opened it had been open for like maybe two weeks but we had our reserve day so i was like well that's the priority for that day yeah we actually did uh do the vip tour with the plaids um nice. one time uh the last time we went and so that really uh, spoiled the crap out of us because it's just like, yeah, you don't wait in line at all. You just they just they get you on the ride. You go from ride to ride to ride. I actually made the mistake of telling our tour guide because she was like, "What do you want to do?" And I was like, "I want." It was a, there was a whole weird thing though. I was with my like my two best friends and um, my wife was pregnant at the time, so she took our daughter back to the hotel room. And so the tour guide was like, "Yeah, what do you guys want to do?" And I was like. I want to go on as many rides as we can in this window of time. We had like four hours, mm-hmm. but we, I wanted to go on the fast rides because we couldn't go on the fast rides with my wife because she was pregnant. So I was like, all right, we have four hours to go on basically every fast ride in Disneyland and California adventure. And she was like, all right, let's do it. And we could have to wait in line, you go and you just like you join the ride and then you boom, 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 boom. And we did it. By the end of those four hours, I was the only time I've ever been like, Oh my God, I feel sick in the park. Like that was way too fast. I was like, no, the ride is actually to mellow you out. So you're not going on, <laughs> you know, uh, at the, it, it, Guardian Breakout and then California Screen within like 15 minutes. <laughs> like you shouldn't do that. Like it'll mess with your head a little bit. Uh, and like you're running because we were really trying to haul ass. And she was sure. letting us do all the backstage stuff. But um, 
yeah, yeah. That's what I was talking about, though. That's where the book comes from, is I have a lot of feelings on music parks. <laughs> Some of them are not the, that are about horror, you know? And I think, I find Disneyland fascinating. I mean, the fact that Disneyland controls the smell of the park, you know? They yeah. control so much of it. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I used to go to, like, Not Scary Farm and, and Hollywood uh, Horror Nights. Mm-hmm. I was actually just watching a video about Hollywood Horror Nights and the history of uh, different years and different mascots they've done. Um, but yeah, like I, I find Disneyland to be fascinating. Um, you know, and there, you know, the fact that like, if something bad happens, the security is there like that, you know, like they try to stay on top of things and, you know, the different, I, I heard this story one time where this woman, her daughter fell in the hotel room and she hit her head and, uh, she was bleeding and they got, they took her to like, you know, uh, the first aid. And they told the woman, the, the husband, the daughter, they were like, listen, and this is like late at night. And they were like, you can go in the park to the daughter. They were like, you can go in the park. We'll take you into one of the uh, shops and you can pick out one toy and you can have that toy. That's like our gift to you because you hurt yourself in the hotel room. And they took them into the park. They went to the, the shop. They got the toy. They came back. By the time they got back to the room, the room had been completely cleaned uh the dresser or like the end table thing that she'd hurt herself on they completely replaced it like it did all this stuff to just like this did not happen like you did not get hurt you know like and i found that you hear that and you're like man that is service and there's a part of you that is like whoa you know like what would it be like on something major you know, if someone died in the park, which people have died in the park, you know, and they don't, they don't hide it that we know of, but you know what I mean? It's like, that's the stuff that I'm always <laughs> really curious about, you know, that you have this controlled environment. Um, there, there, and anytime you find any absolutely controlled environment, you will find horror there. Mm-hmm. You know, you will find something, the lengths people will go to maintain that control. Um, I find that kind of stuff fascinating. So that's a lot of that went into this, into this book. And then I get to do with Andre and Andre and I did fantasy before uh, with birthright, obviously. And, and, but I knew he was itching to do horror as well. So I was like, all right, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, this is probably a good time to pepper in our question from our grand Twitter inquisitor, Asimov Fangirl, who asked, uh, what are some of your favorite uh, theme park rides, you know, uh, and are there any that you would probably never try? even if you were paid? Uh, I think I would go on all of them. I don't think okay. there's any one. I know the rides that I don't care for. You know, mm-hmm. there are certain types of rides that I don't care for um, or I don't find exciting. Like I've done it, you know, I, I would think my favorite ride of all time is, is probably Haunted Mansion. Um, you know, I got lucky that I got to write the Haunted Mansion comic. Um, I have been trying to... Uh, I have been trying for years to write a Haunted Mansion comic. I had pitched a bunch of like, like Lonesome Ghosts, which is a very, you know, famous classic, like Disney um, animated short. Mm-hmm. It's basically Ghostbusters, but with Mickey, Donald and Goofy. Um, and I had been talking to them for a long time about why do Haunted Mansion stuff. I actually found out I was, I got the job to write Haunted Mansion while I was in Disneyland. I was in line for Space Mountain, though, uh, <laughs> and I got an email, and they were like, "You, you, we want you to do it." I heard that process was actually really easy. Like a lot of times when when Marvel would go to Disney and be like, "Well, here are the list of writers we want. What do you think?" That was the first time they only had me 
on the list and then they went to Disney and Disney was like, yes, you do Iron Man, but we want Josh Williamson to write it. So it actually came from Disney, not just Marvel. So I remember hearing this story from Axel Alonso and Axel was like, that was the greatest day because normally it's like a back and forth. They were like, we have one name. They had one name. The name was the same. Let's go. Like, let's do this. And so <laughs> I got to uh, work on that. I got to talk to Imagineers. I worked at Disney while I was working on it. Um, but it's because I just, I, I love Haunted Mansion. Um, that's where Ghosted came from too. Uh, came from Haunted Mansion, like my love of haunted houses. Uh, but yeah, Haunted Mansion is probably my favorite. Um, there's different rides in different places I really like. And I've been able to go to different kinds of amusement parks. There's some that I liked as a kid. Uh, but I would say Haunted Mansion. Uh, like I really like when I go into a ride and it isn't just about the ride, it's about the whole experience, you know? Like yeah. the Tower of Terror was still Twilight Zone. That was a whole experience from just like the, the, the webbing in the, the queue, you know, that's all part of the experience. And I think like Indiana Jones at Disneyland is a great experience. That whole process just to get on is, is really cool. Um, I'm trying to think of the rides I love. I, any ride that they paid for, the only ride I've ever kind of like side-eyed, I guess, is that roller coaster at um, New York, New York and Las Vegas. Uh, it's one that I've always kind of been like, I don't know. Some of that would always kind of bother me. So I've never been on it before, but mm-hmm. my wife loves roller coasters. So I think if we ever went to Vegas, uh, I would go on with her. I would, I would finally bite the bullet and be like, all right, even though I have a weird feeling with that one, I'll go on it. And hopefully that isn't my final destination moment. Um, <laughs> but like, I will, I will figure it out. But uh, yeah, like I, I think like, it's, it's funny, dude. I, I literally make plans around the future but also around like when am i going to go to this amusement park so it's mm-hmm. like i have like you know five-year plan a 10-year plan i'm like okay i know what i want to do when i turn 50 like you know uh i want to go to disney sea like i've always like i have all these different things i want to spend time going to more amusement parks i watch a lot of videos about amusement parks you know that are in different countries um so yeah eventually i want to go to as many as i can as many as I can, as I really just, I find it fascinating, the idea of it. And it's, it's something I think a lot about with comics too, like the whole system of how they turn it into an experience. Cause like the moment you walk into a park, Disney, a Disney park in particular, they're telling you a story. And the moment you get in line for a ride, you know, it's a story. And I, I find all of that really fascinating. So I think about with comics a lot where I think that part of the narrative of comics is more than just the comics in your hand. It, it has become like, how a book is announced, how it's solicited, you know, how it's previewed, the way you talk about it online, the videos we do, all of that goes into, I think, the experience of comics now. Um, and what they, you know, I think they, they call them activations. Uh, I just find all of it really interesting. Yeah. My uh, my wife's a Disney obsessive. And so we go to, we go to Orlando, like we've averaged about once a year for the past few oh, years, man, but awesome. we're at, we're having serious talks about going out to Anaheim next year and doing Disneyland right around uh, San Diego. So, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let me know. I'll tell you. I will. I will literally break down the whole system for you and how you can how you can try to get on as much as you can by lunchtime. It's not that hard. Uh-huh. I can, I'll, I'm not going to say it on air, but I'll tell you. Yeah, let me know. I'll yeah. give you the whole. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a whole breakdown of how to do it. We've never done. I've done Orlando before. Uh, most of my experiences with Anaheim. Um, I've been to Orlando a few times. Uh, we're waiting until both my kids, basically we're waiting until my son is tall enough to go on every ride. And then we're going to go. Uh, and yeah. we have a whole thing. We're going to go for, 
we're going to go to Florida for two weeks so we can spend some time at Disney, but then we can go to Islands of Adventure. You know, we could do a bit more and take our time with it and actually mm-hmm. really, really do it up as much as we can. So maybe not two full weeks, but, you know, really do it up. Because even when we go to Disneyland, we do it for like three days. So going to Florida is a whole other ballgame because Orlando is so much bigger. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have a favorite ride in Orlando? Do you have a ride that you're like, that's my ride? Uh, you know, it's funny. I don't, I'm not like a huge animal kingdom fan, but expedition Everest, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I've never been on that ride before. Um, but I've watched many, many videos of it (laughs) because I, uh, it looks awesome. You know, it is a bummer. Do you know the whole thing where the, that the giant like Yeti, it was supposed to move. Do you know this? There's a, there's a giant Yeti inside it and it was supposed to move. Um, and when they built it, they built the animatronics for it. I think they took it down, but when it was inside it, they actually realized they had messed up and hmm. that it moving made it too heavy and it was going to fall. So they had to either, it, it, I think they either froze it where it can't move or they took it out. I can't remember, but there used to be a giant Yeti inside of it that they had to, uh, it's like one of their few mistakes where they're like, we have this really expensive animatronic and it looks amazing. Once it started to work, they were like, oh no like it's so heavy that it could break and so they were like we have to we can't use it even though they put so much money into making this amazing animatronic yeah i know you can you can see the animatronic and i mean everything's like strobes and in, in, in shadow and like you basically see it like swipe its arm real quick and that you know yeah, that's what you it, get it, it, it used to be a lot more there's a there's a there's a video on it if you ever look it up there was like a whole because i'll watch these videos of like stuff that have gone wrong I think mm. I, I, Imagineering, you know, you have to imagine how much work goes into developing those rides. Sure. So when they yeah. do make a mistake, it's fascinating. I watch a lot of uh, there's this thing on YouTube, it's called The Funkland. Uh, they talk about rides that have been shut down and why they were shut down or park, pieces of parks. Um, yeah, I watch a lot of videos about rides and amusement parks. I just think they're, it, it's such a, a fascinating thing. I guess that's the thing I'm like into when I'm not stressing out about comic books all the time. <laughs> Uh, I used to watch a lot of wrestling and now I'm not as much into it. I, I still watch like AEW every once in a while. I'm I'm a little bit behind on it. Um I still know what's going on though. Like, I can tell you he's champion right now, kind of thing. But uh amusement parks is a thing that I feel is like my my fan. Right on. Now before we, we switch topics, you know, from, from an SEO sam- standpoint, I'm, and and you know, I'm not saying that you plan this or anything like that, you know, but is there a way to leverage the fact that you're releasing Dark Ride the same the same year the same time period as as Dark Crisis, you know it's funny because like as you know you you know that Dark Crisis that's not the the real title yes you know it's Dark Crisis on Earth and actually originally this is a timeline thing I'm not gonna say what it was but um, mm-hmm. Dark Ride has always been called Dark Ride like it's always been called that never changed its title or anything like that uh, Dark Crisis was originally called something else. Mm. Um, had a, had a had a tweak had a tweak on the title uh, that was going to be called something else, and so when I had pitched it and we started rolling with it, it was originally called something else, and then eventually it changed to you know the, the Dark Crisis on Infinite Earth, and then that got shortened down to Dark Crisis just for those the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not planned that way, and I remember when we were like, oh, we're going to call it Dark Crisis for a little bit. There was a part of my brain that was like oh no, I'm watching Dark Ride at the same time. <laughs> is that going to create problems? And then I was like, no, it'll be fine. Now it'll be fine. But now that they're coming out on the like issue six, is it issue six? Issue, f- no, it's issue five. Yeah, so issue five 
issue five and issue one uh, both come out the same day now. There is a part of me that stresses out about it. Um, but I think it's different, like, audiences. And I think the retailers, they have faith that, like, I've heard this from retailers that really like Snailbite and really like Birthright. So I'm more leaning into that with retailers and fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it's, I don't, I want to say it's totally different audiences because it's not. But to me, it's, like, just marketing it. I don't necessarily want to, like, take advantage of one to sell the other, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it was it was a it was something that kind of stressed me out for a while. I was like, "Oh man, they're coming out the same day. They have similar names. That's going to be interesting." But yeah, what do you? And and twenty years from now, no one's going to remember they came out at the same time. Um, like I don't know if you guys know this, but did you know that for a really long time, Preacher Garth Ennis's Preacher and Garth Ennis's Punisher both came out on the same day. They would always come out the same week, and uh, so you'd go in and you know you buy. I was working at the store at the time, so I would pick up Punisher and Preacher in the same day. No one remembers that. You know, like, Welcome Back Frank was coming out. Welcome Back Frank was coming out while the last issue of Punisher, of Preacher was coming out. But nobody remembers that. So I'm always like, ah, it'll be fine. Except for me, because I'm a nut like that. <laughs> Wait, so Dylan, Steve Dillon was drawing both those books at once then? I, what I imagine happened was he probably finished Preacher uh, much earlier. Okay, okay. Like at the time, Vertigo books used to be like really far in advance a lot of times, especially Vertigo mm-hmm. books. Or it's also very possible that Steve Dillon was drawing them both at the same time. It's very possible. While creating Dog Welder. Yeah. <laughs> I, first time I met Garth Ennis, I, I commented on Dog Welder and he's like, oh yeah, Steve created him. Really? That wasn't John? Really? I'm a creator. No, that was Steve Dillon. Dillon. Wow, that's really interesting. Well, yeah, I. I Comment, this is kind of what I said, you know, the character you and McCree created, and he's like, no, actually, that was Steve. That was his idea. I was like, oh, I've, I've only talked to Garth realistically once, maybe twice. Well, I guess twice, like at a outside of a, a hotel at Emerald City Comic Con, we talked very briefly. It was a group full of people, um, and it was much more of a like, not a not a real conversation. I don't know how to put that, you know, it's just like chatting when you're outside of a, a bar kind of thing. Sure. But then one time I was at a convention, it was a New York Comic Con a few years back, and I had a few to drink. And Frank Thierry was with me. And, you know, Frank is 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 tight with Garth. And at one point Frank was like, Oh, Josh, this is Garth Ennis. Like you guys should, you know, meet each other, whatever. And I was just like, Man, like I said to you guys before, it's like when you get a chance to tell somebody like, I love your work, I think you should mm-hmm. take the opportunity, you know, because you never know. And so I was straight up just like, yo, Garth, I want you to know, I love your work, Preacher, Hitman, all of it, like, shaped a lot of stuff I want to do in comics, and, you know, a lot of things I think about in comics were made by you, and I could tell Garth was just like, man, I just want to grab a beer, why is this guy talking to me about (laughs) Preacher, (laughs) and I could tell Frank, I've joked around with Frank before, and Frank was like, oh, man, (laughs) like, why can't you just be cool? (laughs) But I was like, no, man, Hitman is dope. Let's talk about it. <laughs> and Garth's uh, anyway. like, just once I want someone to talk to me about my World War II plane stories. Oh, dude, I'll talk about that, too. I'll talk about that, too. But, uh, <sighs> you know, like, listen, we all know what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have probably read everything. That, I, I, I believe I have read everything that Garth um, Ennis has ever done except for... 
I think it held a pay was an Abershock book. I think that's the only thing I've never read before. Only okay. because I remember reading the first issue when we just had the baby. <laughs> and the first issue is like spoilers for anyone listening. And the first issue of Hell to Pay, it has a baby getting shot in the face, which is like not nearly as bad as some of the other things Garth Ennis has had in like Punisher or Preacher, like not at all. Like there's a scene in Nick Fury where uh, Barracuda like straight out kicks a dead baby across a field at one point. So baby getting shot in Hell to Pay was like not as bad, but I remember we had just had our first kid, and I remember reading that issue, be like, yeah, I'm gonna wait on this one. <laughs> so that's like the only thing Garth Ennis has ever read before. So, so now we are going to talk about the the big black drippy elephant in the room. Uh, so, what is it like to write a line wide event like Dark Crisis and Infinite? It is. Uh, I mean, how planning been going? It is incredibly stressful. It's incredibly stressful. Um, you know, I I've been. I say back at DC because I'd done some stuff for DC before, but when I came back about seven years ago, almost um, in 2015 to start working on flash, I was always kind of in conversations with them about event stuff um, because flash was going to be so tied into rebirth that I was in those conversations. And then I wrote Justice League versus suicide squad. And then it was weird. It was like, what would always happen is this. I'd be in the offices for like a mini summit so like while i'm finishing while i'm wrapping up just league versus suicide squad we had a mini summit about metal and then by the time you know even with metal we had a couple mini summits but then it's like when metal's ending we have a summit about no justice and then when no justice ends we had a summit about something else it was like always something like we were always i've I've been kind of connected to because like with metal and death metal i was like a, a legit like paid consultant on those books and I helped manage a lot of the one shots. And so for almost like six years, I've worked on events and I try to always take what I learned in each one. And even now with dark crisis, it's like, I have learned so much that I'm not saying I'm becoming an expert on events, but I feel like I have a really good understanding of what works and what doesn't work on an event. Uh, it does take a lot of planning. And even when you think you have it all planned out, you don't. Like things will things will surprise you and you will want to change things. You'll be like, oh, the story's taking me this direction. But that's hard when you're doing something so big that has so many one shots and has a bunch of little like like flash crossing over. And uh we started, I mean, I started writing notes about what would become Dark Crisis. I wanna say like end of twenty eighteen. Uh, when we were it was when we were playing death model like while we were playing out death model i started thinking about if i were doing an event what I, I would do and talking with scott and james we were all so close talking about death metal i sort of had a good idea of like what i would do differently with an event and a large part of that was like you know i've seen an event from batman superman and woman's perspective i've seen it from these points of view I kind of want to see it from a different point of view. And like, you go back and you read like Underworld Unleashed. Underworld Unleashed is from the perspective of, of James Jesse, you know, it's not from the perspective of like a really big hero. And don't get me wrong, like Blue Devils and that, you know, and Shazam was a part of that story, but and a big part of it, but it was all from the perspective of, of James Jesse of all the trickster of all people. Right. Uh, so with this, I was like, oh, I really want to do an event from a different perspective. And I'm, 
I think the sidekicks are very important to DC. And I think the Titans and I think all of these new characters, again, like the growing mythology um, I, of these characters and these worlds. So I wanted to do an event about that but from those perspectives. That took a lot of planning and there were certain things that did change as we were going. Uh, originally, what was Justice League 75, that was actually Dark Crisis number one, originally. Um, mm-hmm. And then we sort of rearranged a couple of things, and that became Justice League 75, you know. Uh, yeah, a lot of planning, a lot of stress. Uh, I have whiteboards all over my office. Um, for the last <laughs> year, I have had this uh, whiteboard on the other... You guys can't... We're on video right now, but yeah. So, like, I have a whiteboard... Uh, it's a really big whiteboard on the other side of my desk that is just like the whole thing from it, it had I've changed it a couple of times but there right now it has from 75 all the way until the end and uh, but all of it you know from like here's how Infinite Frontier runs and here's how Incarnate runs and here's how these things kind of pick up and here's where Shadow War picks up this and you know I'm a bit of a continuity junkie uh, sometimes to a fault um, and I'm always paying attention to what people are doing in the DCU, and so I try to find a way to reflect it all. It isn't, it's not, I don't not to say it's not impossible, it is definitely a lot of work, but I always try to make sure I reflect it all. So, yeah, working on Dark Crisis, building an event like this has been, it has been intense. Um, that's why I said before, it was like, that's why some things kind of got kind of moved around because I knew, I knew going into Dark Crisis that it was going to take over my life, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, I had to sort of, yeah, plan around that. Uh, but a lot of <laughs> a lot of stuff in my head, just trying to work this stuff out. And now that I'm at the end of it, it's really fascinating to look back. I did a podcast a few months ago where Kieran Gillian was talking about um, doing Judgment Day. We did we basically did a we did a podcast sketched about writing events. And I asked Kieran, I'm like, what would, what do you think is a success to you about writing an event? And Karen was like, well, at the ending, you're not angry. You know, you're not burned out. You're still, like, happy. And and that's how I feel now. Like, now I'm getting closer to the ending. Like, I'm proud of what I've done. And I think I'm hoping that, you know, years from now, people judge it as a whole, not each individual piece. Because it's, like, it's been really fascinating the last couple of years with, with events in general where it's, like, people, I sometimes judge the bigger stories by the puzzle pieces, not the puzzle. You know, and mm-hmm. so with that, mm-hmm. I'm hoping by the time we get to the ending, you see like what Dark Crisis was really about. You know, you get to the end, you'll, you'll be like, oh, here's this big thing. But that meant making a lot of puzzle pieces and throwing them on a table <laughs> <laughs> and then slowly putting them together. Yeah. So, so you're just saying with your whiteboards and everything, you're, you're Rip Hunter. Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I almost I knew do something just now. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I have a lot of conversations about Rip Hunter and Rip Hunter's whiteboards, or his chalkboards, I should yeah. say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you got to take this gig, this big event into San Diego this summer. You know, how was that experience? You know, how many panels did you speak at where you had to very politely not answer questions about what was going to happen to such and such character, etc.? Et, et and oh, also just sort well, of rolling out that full, you know, Full title about it, which you know, by the way, guys, it's Star Crisis on Infinite Earths. You know that sort of thing. yeah. Well, that panel was a lot of fun, and I was really it's probably one of my favorite panels I've ever done. Um, at that panel, we couldn't take questions, um, 
so but also because it was so packed i mean we we, we were up until the last like they, they were telling us to get off the panel you know <laughs> like they were like you guys are done and then they were making us leave um but it was that that panel was really a lot of fun and i think it was nice to for the first time in three years be able to get in front of people and talk about the book and then but also get that energy and i remember the vibe in that room was so great like it was so great and when we announced the the title and when we showed the art the energy was so strong um it was really a great moment, I think, for a lot of us because, you know, the last few years we've, we've been kind of making comics in a bubble even more so than we used to in some ways, right? Like, yeah. because you couldn't go to conventions, you know? Um, and I, I've always been a big fan of, like, getting a chance to talk to people in person about the books and actually getting that kind of energy and excitement about it. Um, I don't like to use the word real fans or anything like that. I think that's bullshit. But just the mm -hmm. idea that you get to go to a convention and meet people that are, like, super pumped about it and talk about it um so being in that room i think for a lot of us like myself the creative team like the daniel and the editorial team and certain parts of like dc marketing and sales they were all in that room they were at that panel like some of them were sitting in the very back and they all came out of that panel like super pumped because they were just like oh yeah finally like we got to get the real reaction from people and it was really really strong when it comes to not answering people's questions so it's gonna sound really funny to you because I had to actually like jump through some hoops to make it time to this uh, podcast. So I have Twitter blocked, not twenty four seven. I have all social media blocked for almost the entire day. Uh, I have Windows. I have like a half hour in the morning or like an hour in the morning and a half 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 hour in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. um, I also just don't really engage a lot with people online. Part of it's because I I I have too much to do. <laughs> and I feel like I know myself. I know the things that I obsess over that if I started becoming the kind of creator that was really heavy and engaging, mm -hmm. all of a sudden my workload would really suffer. And so, uh, because I would obsess with it, like I would obsess with that interaction. So I've always been very defensive and very like creating boundaries with it. So every once in a while, we'll see people ask me questions on there. And I just, I just don't answer. Um, I also don't like the idea of giving away spoilers online, like in that because that's really what they want a lot of times. They want a spoiler. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, I don't want to spoil the book. They got to read it. You know, it's like, if you're having questions about what's going to happen, the best way to find out is to read it. You know, like, it, and, and I promise you it's much better than me giving you a tweet. Like, you will get much more enjoyment from actually reading the book than me answering your questions with the tweet. So I don't normally answer a lot of questions. That being all said, if someone comes to me and asks me questions at a convention, and I'm sitting there at a panel. Particular panels are a little weird with that, but if like somebody like comes up to my table and is like, "I have questions," I will more than likely answer those questions to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we did a, I did like a DC Reddit thing a few months ago, and that was really fun. I was, I, I went into it. I was like, "I will answer these questions best I can." We did like a DC Universe one. Um, it is hard every once in a while, you know. Like, I remember uh, a few years ago. There's a library uh, nearby me, and the library director for this part of Portland, he's a big comic fan, and he wanted to do a bunch of library programs with comic books, and so he was like, "This is this is back in 2017, I think, uh, maybe early 2018." Uh, he was like, "Hey, I would love to take you out for a drink, pick your mind about some stuff, and we're gonna do a bunch of comic book programs. Would you be interested?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and then. Again, the year is important. It's like early 2018, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
And so he takes me to uh, we get we get drinks at this bar and we're talking and I'm like, so what are you into? Like, what are your favorite comics? And he's just like, I love DC comics. DC comics is my favorite. And I'm like, who are your two favorite characters? And he's like, my two favorite characters are Wally West and Dick Grayson. <laughs> and in my head, because I know what DC's future plans were, I'm like, oh man. I was like, Dick Grayson's about to get shot in the head and become Rick Grayson. And then Wally West is about to kill a bunch of people in Heroes of Crisis. <laughs> and I remember I just like put my hand on the guy's shoulder. I was like, listen, man, it's going to be okay. <laughs> like, I promise it'll be okay. But you're in for a rough ride, but it'll be okay. And I didn't tell him anything else, but I was just like, listen, listen, it's going to be all right. Uh, so every once in a while, someone will come to me and they'll talk to me at conventions and I can see the distress on their face and I can see the worry. And I was like, I try to remind them of like, it's going to be all right. You know, I know it's going to take some time to be okay. The thing I always tell people that brings it back to Dark Ride too, is I'm always like, listen, like you got to see these things like they're a roller coaster, you know, like you get on that ride and there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, there's going to be some scary stuff. But at the end of the day, when the ride is over, you're going to get off and it's going to be fun, you know, and it's like, but the rides are long sometimes. And I know that. So I'm like, there are times where I'm like, all right, listen, like, you know, during the Wally time period, and this is, I say this with Tom King being like one of my, my best friends that I talk to all the time. Uh, I knew how that story ended, but I also knew like the future, future plans for that character. And I knew we would eventually get to where we're at now where Wally's running around, you know, as the Flash with Linda and the kids. Like I knew we were going to get to that. But I knew it was going to take a long time to get there. So there were people who come to me that like big Wally fans and I could tell they were stressed out. And I was like, listen, just keep like, keep the faith alive. I promise you we'll get there. So that's the hard thing every once in a while. Is someone comes to me and is like, I love this character. And, and there's, there's no character at DC that is hated, right? Like, you know, uh, there is no one character I think that anybody at DC, at least in my experience, have been like, oh, I don't like that character i want bad things to happen to him that is never the case you know it's always about that roller coaster it's all about the conflict and you know sometimes bad things have to happen to characters to show why they're awesome you know why they're great and and uh so every once in a while someone will come to me at a convention and i can tell how stressed out they are about it and how worried they are and i'm like you gotta you know you gotta wait you gotta be patient i know it's hard that's the hard part every once in a while is that when someone comes and i'm like again like i was saying earlier about their crisis you know i remember when Dude, when, when Dark Crisis number one came out, before it even came out, it got leaked that Beast Boy shot, or that Deathstroke shot Beast Boy in the face. I, I, I tell you, when I wrote that scene, uh, it never crossed my mind that people would think Beast Boy was actually dead. Like, that never crossed my mind. Uh, which he's not dead, right? Like, Beast Boy is not dead. Um, but I remember when that issue, got, it got leaked that he was going to get shot, and then when issue one came out, and I saw people upset that Beast Boy was shot, I was like, man, I... I Maybe I'm naive. Like, I had not considered this, but also my brain, I'm like, he's a shapeshifter. He's going to be just fine, you know? Uh, but it was such an interesting, like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm always like, well, just keep reading. Just keep reading. You'll get there. You'll get cool stuff. I promise you. You're going to get cool stuff. Uh, but that's the hard part. When people come to me, I can tell how stressed out they are about something. And it's like, like there was a, there was a thing a few weeks back where Robin was eating pizza but in the script i was very clear that like the pizza is a vegan pizza because damien is vegan it was very clear in the script the art you know it looks like a cheese pizza and like you know but i, I there's even a comment to make sure it's very clear as cheese pizza and i made the mistake of posting that art online and somebody just assumed it was like had meat on it and so they got really upset 
And I was like, oh man, just wait till the comic comes out, I promise. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, the online stuff that people uh, who have questions are coming to me, like, it, the only time I ever get like, oh man, this sucks, is if I can, I can tell how, how much it's like affecting them. But if I know the future, I know it's okay. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil it for them too, you know? So it's, that's the only part that's sometimes hard to walk is that right there. So you're obviously, you know, a, a small fan of DC comics. Um, yeah, just sure. a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you're now, you've written regularly for a number of years now. You're now writing for mm-hmm. crisis. And this, so this question might actually be a spoiler. You have to duck to avoid giving something away, which I completely understand. Um, is there a character, a DC character out there that you haven't gotten the chance to write that you'd really like to? Um, one of the characters that never seems to line up for me is Green Arrow. Um, I wanted to write Green Arrow like 10 plus years ago and I pitched for it a few times and never came together. and It just never happens. Uh, the first time I ever got to actually write Green Arrow, like really write it, write that character um because i've done like i'll do like a one pager here and there you know like i had i had ollie and and dinah and infinite frontier zero i got to write a page with them the first time i got to write green arrow for more than like two pages was in justice 75 when i killed him so it was definitely like a bittersweet moment of like the first time i get to write this character i love is when i'm killing him off uh that's a character i've always wanted to write that just never works out and to this day it never works out um like it's somebody I would want to do a book with and do a little run on, but it, it just never, the, the stars never align on that character and his family, you know, um, as part of why this last couple of years, on all the books I was working on, I had Hawk and Robin, you know, I caught Hawk and Robin. Uh, I had Black Canary uh, in Deathstroke. And then I had Roy and Infinite Frontier, but no Ollie. Like it's such an interesting, I, I could never get to work out with him for some reason. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff at DC I want to write. Yeah, I don't want to get too deep into, like, ruining anything for the future, but Green Arrow's the one I want to write. It just never it just never comes together for some reason. Um, the stars just never align for that one. So, uh, penultimate question uh, as we wind down here. What, do you, what are you reading right now? Oh, like, literally what's on my desk right now is 20th Century Boys. I just got the pulp process edition hardcover the one this is the sean phillips every maker one i just got that uh here i'll pull up my so i have on my desk right now i have the ghost cage, the ghost cage uh book that was Dracata. i got nice house on the lake which is a little weird because i talk to james every day and so i, I know a lot of the stuff in that book in advance i have the made of lila star on my desk even though i read it when it was coming out but i got that trade uh still water uh, the good asian I got the two trades of that. I, I just finished the first one. Uh, let's see, also Homesick Pilots I really like. Love uh, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I got Squire. I picked that up. Let's see what else I got here. Uh, Radiant Black. Uh, obviously something is telling the children. Uh, again, that's one that I have like a weird relationship with because I remember reading issue one when it was like like a very raw earlier version of that comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Marvel, I actually really like Jason Aaron's Punisher. Um, it's I, Punisher's an interesting character. There was a, a moment where I kind of felt like it was good that, that character was kind of retired for a minute, but then I remember sure. reading 
Jason Aaron's Punisher number one. And the first few pages, I was like, you know, it's really interesting. No one's, this is spoilers. There was something that I was like, oh, I'm surprised no one's ever done that before. That'd be really cool. And then by the time I got to the ending, I'm like, oh, Jason Aaron's literally doing that thing right now. This is, this is fun. <laughs> uh, Chips, um, Chips Daredevil. Uh, with DC, it's weird because I basically read every DC book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that's a weird, I have a weird relationship with that. Because some of it I know ahead of time and I'm, I'm looking at it through a different lens. Um, you know, through this kind of like, not necessarily architect, but just a lens of like, just trying to make make sense of the entire DC universe so that mm-hmm. I can try to apply it when I'm working on the events. So I look at it through a very different look. Um, but like Donnie, uh, you know, I'm reading Donnie's Hulk and Donnie's Thor. Uh, I've actually read Vanish number one. It was really fun. Um, I read a lot of comics. <laughs> I read a lot of books. <laughs> what do you guys read? What's something you guys read recently? You're like, that was dope. That was a great comic. Uh, you know, I had just had to read Dark Crisis for a thing. No, uh, I am I am <laughs> rereading. Uh, I'm rereading right now, actually, the first half of uh, Tom King and Greg Smallwood's Human Target. Uh, oh yeah, it's real good. Real good. Oh god, it's so good. It's like my favorite book right now. Uh, yeah, I'm reading all the X stuff right now, or most of it. Um, I'm behind on the X Men stuff. Uh, I read, I guess that stuff it goes so fast because I read Inferno and I really liked it, but I haven't read anything since Inferno. Uh, okay. but I really liked Inferno. I, and now, of course, I'm like a couple of weeks behind in what I'm reading, and like I'm, I now know what our guests do when he's like, "So, what are you reading?" And I. You, they freeze up. So Batman ah, books. Black, just say Batman books. Oh, Batman books. Black Sad. <laughs> I just read the new Black Sad, and that I have was... read the new one. I have the the, the first two hardcovers here, and I haven't read anything since then. I need to pick up that new one. I'm obsessed with hardcovers, so I always buy like I go to my comic shop maybe every two weeks, and I just I pick up a lot of trades. Um, and then single issues, like number ones, like do do a power bomb. It's an image book. Oh, yeah, but Dion Warren Johnson is real good. Uh, I love that one. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. That um, Texas Blood and Newburn. Um, both. Yeah. Uh, I really like that. I, okay, no, I like Newburn a lot. That Texas Blood. I have the first trade, but I haven't read it. Like that's also here next to me, and I haven't had a chance to uh, read it, but it constantly gets recommended to me. Like it's one that gets recommended a lot. So eventually I'll get around to it. Um, you know, a lot of times Lemire, like almost anything Lemire does, I'll pick up. Mm. Um, you know, he did a book a couple years ago called Sentience. It was a TKO book. Yep. The book was real yep. good. I was like, yeah. one of my favorite books that year. It was really good. Uh, like Rom, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's funny. Like at some point I have like a weird line with people where it's like, Rom is someone who's like a friend that I talk to on the regular and I really enjoy his work. Uh, and then it's like, yeah, you get to a point where like you start talking about your work. And so it puts everything into a weird perspective sometimes, you know, because it's like, like with James, I, I was talking about this with a friend of mine who loves something that's killing the children. And they just, they just like super love it. And they're asking me about it. And I'm like, oh, I love it. But I have a weird perspective on it because I've literally seen that book be developed in process. And it's like that with, with Rom, with Detective. Like, I've had a lot of talks with Rom about Detective and a lot of talks with uh, Rom about other books. And so, uh, but like Swamp Thing, like Rom Swamp Thing is really great. And it was one that like we would talk about because of the connections to Dark Crisis we were eventually going to do. Um, and Rom writing Deadly Green with Alex. Alex and Dan. Oh, you know what I really liked recently? I really liked Dan's sort of Azrael number one. 
Yes. Uh, I thought that was a, I've been using it as an example at DC lately of like a, a very solid number one that did all the things right. You know, like whenever we talk about new books that are coming up and we talk about number ones, I've been using Dan's book as an example of one that I'm like, look, 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 like all these pieces are here, you know, like you get, because when you're reading a, a number one, I need to know who that character is. And it's a weird math between creator owned versus a DC book uh, because there's so much history there you know, with it, with this character. So I've been using that as an example because they really do a good job. Like Dan did a great job of establishing, like, this is who John Powell, John Paul Valley was. This is who he is now. You know, this is where the story is going. Uh, this is the world they're living in now. Like they did a really good job establishing all of that in that issue one. Uh, so that was a really good one. What else? I read a lot of comics. <laughs> I read a lot of comics. Uh, I do. I do like rereads. Like during the pandemic, I reread all of Bendis' Avengers and and Daredevil. Um, I did a reread of all of Garth Ennis and then Jason Aaron's Punisher during the pandemic. Um, like I was saying before, I'll probably end up doing a reread of Hitman probably pretty soon here, um, just because that book is like it's perfect. <laughs> like Hitman is 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 perfect. Uh, so I'll probably end up doing a reread of that. It's like a comfort food read. Um, I'm trying to think what else are books. I'm I'm so crazy behind on Saga at this point. Um, I'm not sure I'll ever. I'm I'm gonna try to catch up eventually. Uh, now, when you say crazy was, behind, are you talking about like like you're still like before the hiatus? Yeah, yeah. So don't tell me like I people have kind of like come close to ruining the hiatus thing to me, but I've I've never had a ruin. Um, like whatever the cliffhanger was before hiatus, where everyone was forced to wait for three years, I'm actually like four years behind. I'm I'm laughing because uh, someone on this call did ruin. <laughs> it had oh, been really? six months. Yeah, it had been. Man. It was <laughs> gave you like three years, <laughs> and I still feel ashamed. Yeah, as I'm saying, don't ruin it. Yeah, I I I've done a pretty good job of keeping it away from me. I kind of have a guess what happens, but I don't know for sure. Uh, uh-huh. I started doing a saga reread uh, during the pandemic. I mean, you know, it's like you start. You start reading one book and that leads into another one and obviously you pick up something else. Next thing you know, you're reading the whole thing with that, you know, like, um, what else is really good that I've been reading? I don't know. I have like, do I have stacks? Oh, like once in future, uh, mm-hmm. I started reading once in future. Um, I remember reading the first issue when it came out and then I just didn't pick it up after that. And then, uh, Kieran and I had to do uh, that podcast I was telling you about and, uh, the person running that podcast was like, oh, Kieran's going to read all of Dark Crisis. But at that point, I think the first two or three issues have been out. Um, maybe the first two issues, I think, have been out. And But but none of Judgment Day had come out yet. Mm-hmm. Only the, the only thing that had come out had been like the prelude thing and the free comic day thing. So I was mm-hmm. like, well, I've read that. So I'm just going to read Once in the Future <laughs> so I can talk about Once in the Future with Kieran. And then, of course, I loved it. Like, it's a really, a, it's a great book. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What else is there? Yeah, I read a lot of comics, dude. Like, I read a lot of stuff, and uh, I just, you know, it's it's definitely a part of my life, <laughs> like, to bring it all the way back. Like, it's something that's just what I do, and uh, I have a passion for DC, and I have a passion for creator-owned stuff. Like, I, I love just watching people just make books, you know? I think that it's, like, and the more the merrier. And I like different, I, I've had this conversation with Ram a few different times where it's like Ram and I are very different kinds of writers. And I like that. Like we had a, 
back in the spring, DC did this thing where it was like the milestone program. So it was mm-hmm. like they're bringing in new writers, you know, to to try to write for DC and new artists. And um, each mentor got to have you have one writer, one artist to talk to and, and talk about their books and talk about their story and them trying to write comics. And one of the things with the that team that I really tried to get across to them was like. I'm already here, so I don't need you to write like me. I need you to write like you. So I'm here to help you do that. Like, I don't want you to try to copy me. I think that's one of the things I've seen sometimes when people give advice on writing comics. It's like, you, you, I, I don't want you to write like me. I want you to do the best version of you and then have you, what you're doing because I'm already here. Uh, I, I find it fascinating when I see like the critique of a comic. Well, it's not as good as this comic over here. Or it's not like this comic over here. And I'm like, that's not the point. Like, I want them to be all be different. I want to be able to check all this different stuff. And and that's what, like, I do. I read a lot of books, and I love when I discover something or I find something that is just totally different than anything else I've ever read before. Like, I think that is so much fun to do. And, uh, yeah. But I got to read this pulp this pulp process edition because Brubaker is I, – I, I don't like claiming this. I don't like saying it, but I think Brubaker is probably my favorite comic book writer. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, without getting too specifics into why, Brubaker mm-hmm. is, is easily like one of my favorites, and so I'm looking forward to this book. Like him and Sean Phillips are like, a, they're never they never miss ever, like ever ever. So, yeah, I'm excited to check this one out. Right on. Well, Josh, this has been an awesome time. Final question before we release you back into yeah, the world: up? How can people uh, follow you online and keep up with Dark Crisis, Dark Ride, and everything else that you have going on? Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, Williamson underscore Josh, that's the best place to, to follow what I'm doing. Yeah, that's a, that's the best place. I have an Instagram, but it mostly leans. It, it's probably going to have more pictures of Lego sets on the Instagram at this point uh, than anything comic related. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you should definitely check out the Williamson underscore Josh. That's the best place to know what I'm up to. I, I, I just finished cleaning up all the Legos in my basement, so I might have to check that out later. But Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast, Battle of the Atom, Chris's on Infinite Earths, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. Uh, P.S. Matt and Will, sorry I made you read White Knight again. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a slot in the Comics XF staff picks. A $3 donation gets you access to our new bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Kat Purcell from ComicsXF, Liz Large from ComicsXF, Will Nevin from ComicsXF, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. The Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, the Forceworks character Century was apparently part of Combo Man. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.